Good morning. So how everybody, how's everybody doing? Awesome. Okay, come on. You can be honest. You know, you're in church. How, how many, how many closet wrestling fans we got out there? Okay, all right. It's okay to admit it, right? So how many remember this character that I played, the Million Dollar Man? Yeah. So if you remember him, you'll remember this. <laughs> Everybody's got a price for the Million Dollar Man. I just have to get that out of my system once a day, you know. Uh, I played this character, the Million Dollar Man, uh, in the WWE. It was the WWF then, same company. From 1987 uh, all the way to actively wrestling to 93, into 93, and then as a manager commentator in 96, then I continued on three more years um, for another company for a while. And uh, I am on what they call a legends contract with the WWE again today. I make cameo appearances for them and uh, occasionally make appearances for them representing the company. Much better company today. I prayed real long and hard, and uh, they have gone back to a totally PG-rated format, which I'm very thankful for. Um, but God had a plan for my life. It just took me 38 years to figure out what it was. I never dreamed in a million years that one day I'd be standing in churches preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, traveling all over the world as an evangelist, but that's what I am today, and I have been. And uh, um, I'm here to share my heart with you today, to... Uh, challenge you a little bit. Uh, I am not a wrestler physically anymore. I promise you will never see me in spandex again. <laughs> it's a horrifying thought. I told my wife the other day, I said, honey, I lost 10 pounds. She goes, look behind you. <laughs> Wives have a way of keeping you right in line, don't they? Yeah. But um, I have come to wrestle with your hearts today. Um, you know, as you heard that, that message, you know, it's like, why do men hate church? Hmm, well, we're going to talk about that a little bit, and I am going to work that into my story as well, and I think you'll see the correlation. In 2 Corinthians 5, verses 9 through 11, this is the NIV version of the Bible, it says, so we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him, for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. In this verse, the Apostle Paul reminds us that there's an eternal picture for life and that one day all believers will stand before Christ to receive what they've earned in life. Many of us will be shocked to learn that we spent the majority of our time on things that didn't count for eternal rewards. Truth be told, most people would be left destitute if they planned their futures as carelessly as they've prepared for eternity. Even believers often neglect the vital component of the Christian life. We actually give little thought to what will happen beyond the end of today. In his book, Driven by Eternity, author John Bevere says, in building our lives to be ready for that day of judgment and maintaining an eternal frame of reference, we will develop significant lives. Learning to keep sight of the goal will allow us to begin laboring for rewards that endure for eternity. So what's the goal? The goal is to live significant, significant lives that reap eternal rewards. Live a significant life. Live a significant life. Well, what's happened in the church today is that it's been watered down. 
um, I guess I would say womanized, and that's not a, ladies, that's not a knock. Here's the thing. Let me share some statistics with you. 10% of all those in the United States who claim to be Christians, they don't go to church anywhere. Yet somehow they think they're Christians and that they're on their way to heaven. 20%, 20% of any church, irregardless of denomination affiliation, 20% of any church does 80% of the work. I call the other 80% freeloaders. You're coming in and taking up pew space and you're putting in your hour and you're going home and you think you've got, you got your ticket punched. Well, you better hang on. You better think again. Now, of the 20% that do 80% of the work, 80% of the 20% are women. So really what I'm saying is that 80% of the workforce in the church across the United States of America are women. So what's church going to look like? It's going to look very girly, right? And, I, and this is not a knock on the, on the, on the ladies. Actually, I'm, I'm here to rebuke the men. You see, you just read the Bible. There's a lot of places in the Bible where, where, where you know, where God couldn't find a good man, he found a good woman. Here's the thing. Biblically speaking, God called on us men to lead. Your first responsibility as a man, if you are a married guy, is to be the spiritual leader in your home. You're supposed to be the priest in your home. Gentlemen, it's your responsibility to have the kids in church on Sunday, not your wives. So I'm here to tell you, there's a lot of reasons guys don't like church. But I would say this to you, if you don't like it, then do something about it. Because, now I'm not from Mississippi. I hope I don't sound like I'm from there now. I've lived there 25 years. Uh, My wife's parents are from there. So I moved my wife to be near her mama. When mama ain't happy, nobody's happy. Um, Originally, I'm from Nebraska. But in Mississippi... You know, I speak to a lot of men. I tell those guys, I go, look, I said, if you guys, if you guys were as fired up about devotion to God and working for God and doing things for the kingdom as you are chasing white-tailed deer, revival would break out in this state. I'm going to tell you what, guys in Mississippi grow up and they're hunters. They love to hunt and fish. And I'm going to tell you, I know guys that plan their whole year around deer season. I mean, they, they join these deer camps and they go out and they get these old trailers and they fix them all up and they invest all this money and time. I mean, literally everything, I mean, everything revolves around that. That's sad. And you know, in Mississippi, it's deer hunting. But I mean, anything, biblically speaking, anything that comes before your relationship with God is an idol. And there's lots of idols. I mean, it could be, Golf. It could be football. It's like, golly, Ted, that's a wonderful message you're preaching today, but if you don't let us out of here in the next 30 minutes, I'm not going to get back in front of my big string for tip-off. Golly, that's a great message, Ted, but if you don't get us out of here in the next 20 minutes, that church down the street is going to beat us to the steakhouse. What I would say to you is, Bible says Sabbath is the Lord's day, not his hour. 
And where's your heart? Where is your heart? You see, the difference between genuine Christianity and every other religion in the world is genuine Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship. It's a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And I don't care what church you go to. I don't care what your denomination happens to be. As long as you understand one thing, your salvation is through one person, the person of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross. And if you don't have a daily relationship with him, you can go to church your whole life and go straight to hell because all you're doing is practicing religion. Jesus said, those who hear my words and put and then do what I say, those, those are the people. And, and again, he said, he said, you'll recognize a tree by its fruit. He said, a good tree can't bear bad fruit and a bad tree can't bear good fruit. And every tree that doesn't bear good fruit is what? Cut down and cast into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you'll recognize them. So, oh, yes, we're saved by God's grace. We're saved by the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross and by accepting him as Savior. But here's, the, here's, the, here's what you got to understand. Saying you accept him and putting that into practice are two different things. As I share my story with you, you'll see, I have intellectually believed what this book says most of my life. The difference between heaven and hell is about 18 inches. It's moving everything you know about Jesus from here to here, to your heart. Because once it gets in your heart, your life's going to change. Once it gets in your heart, your priorities are going to change. Because if they don't, you are just fooling yourself. Now, why do guys hate church? Well, you know what? Ladies, guys, you know, we're born with a lot of testosterone, as you well know. And that's okay. That's the way God made us. Guys want an adventure. Guys want a challenge. It's like when we're little boys and little girls, while you girls were playing with dolls and the tea set, we were out having dirt clot, throt, dirt clot fights and playing war. We want to go see Braveheart, and you want to see Sweet Home Alabama. That's the way we're made, and that's okay. You know, we are opposites, and opposites attract, and we are supposed to complement each other. But while the guys are screaming, well, you know, I don't like church, you know, it's like, well, I'm going to tell you, guys, guys don't like to go to church and sit in church, and all they ever hear is, is the old hymnal book and organ music. There's nothing wrong with that. Man, I tell you what, I love the worship service here this morning. And the other thing that's happened in the church is, is we get so caught up in these traditions. You know what Jesus said about it? He said, he said to the Pharisees, he said, you nullify the word of God for the sake of all your traditions. In other words, the traditions became more important than the word. It's happened again. Hello. And churches, oh, you know, you, you know. Electric guitars and drums and all that stuff in church. Uh, rap music. Look, I'm not a big fan of rap music. I'm not 57 years old. But I'm going to tell you something. If a guy can rap and he raps Christian lyrics and it's going to bring a bunch of kids to Jesus Christ, rap on, brother. Rap on. I don't care. The message of the gospel is what's sacred. It never changes. But the method is always changing. Always changing. And you're either going to get up and go with God or you're going to get left behind. 
And there's a lot of reasons we could talk about why guys don't like church. But guys, I'm going to tell you something. If you don't like church, then do something about it. Because according to the statistics, you're not doing squat. That's right, I'm an evangelist. And evangelists, they blow in, they blow up, and they blow out. And I'll give the salve to Pastor Aaron and say, here, you can nurse the wounds. And if you're getting mad right now, take it up with Jesus. Because that's who you're really mad at. I'm just a messenger. And I want you to understand that what I'm sharing with you took me 38 years of my life to figure out. 38 years before I really understood what genuine Christianity is. It's that relationship, and it's about, you know, I guess it's, it's been watered down. No, it's not really important to live a significant life. Hello? Whatever you're gifted with, we're all gifted. We're not unique. None of us are unique, but we are all uniquely gifted. Men, take the gifts that God has given you, whatever they are, and be the very best that you can be. Yes, be number one. Shoot for it. Go for it. Be number one. Here's the difference. To the glory of God, not the glory of self. My son, Ted Jr., graduated from college because I told him I wanted you to uh, I said, you get a degree. So he gets a degree in business administration. He comes to me. He said, Dad, he said, I honored your wishes. I got a college education and a degree. Now I'm going to chase after my goal because I heard you, I hear you tell all those kids all the time, you know, what are you passionate about? Chase after your passion because you'll sacrifice whatever you have to for what you're passionate about. Live your dream, not your daddy's dream. Did I have to eat my words? I said, oh, that's great, son. What do you want to do? I said, I want to wrestle. <laughs> so my son's been in the WWE for a couple years now. And I told him, I said, Teddy, I said, okay. I said, a lot has changed. A lot has changed for the better. It's a better work environment. They work four days and they're off three every week. There's a lot of things that have changed for the better. State-of-the-art drug testing, what they call their wellness policy. There's accountability there that wasn't there when I was there. We had a lot of guys that were dying because of drug and alcohol abuse and, uh, and, and pills and all that. It was like, uh, you know, the rock band lifestyle. Next town, next show, next party, next girl. A lot of things have changed. I said, but here's the thing, son. I said, you've had a relationship with the Lord for a long time, I said. And I know that. And I said, the more you know about God, the more, the more he is going to hold you accountable. And I said, if you will always remember to seek first the kingdom. That's what the scripture says. Seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness. And then all other things will be added to you. I said, you'll continue to have the favor of God in your life. Because what, what, here's the point, guys. Take the gifts and talents God has given you. Be the very best that you can be. And again, to the glory of God. I told my son, Ted, I said, you be the Tim Tebow of the WWE. And if you don't know who Tim Tebow is, he played quarterback at the University of Florida, and everybody knew him as much for being a Christian as they did being a, a Heisman Trophy winning uh, quarterback. So, guys, if you're mad about church and you don't like the way it is, then like I tell the guys in Mississippi, I said, get out of the deer camp and do something about it. Where are your priorities in life? Folks, this country's in a bad way.
a bad way. Spiritually speaking, God called upon men to be leaders. Ladies, don't take that the wrong way. Biblically speaking, men are supposed to lead by their example. They're supposed to take care and defend their families. Their first obligation is priests, like I said. Strong men build strong churches. Strong churches build strong communities, and strong communities build a strong nation. And I don't know about you, but every day I turn on Fox News, and I'm shaking my fist at the TV. Well, while you're shaking your fist at the TV, understand this. The reason there's no integrity in Washington and the reason that a lot of those guys are more interested in in their own rear ends and, and their own personal future instead of the country's is because it starts right here. This was a Christian nation. I can't say that today. This was a nation that was dedicated to God in the name of Jesus Christ. The Ten Commandments are etched into the doors of the Supreme Court building, but you can't pray in school. Evil flourishes when good men do nothing, and that's the problem. We'll talk about it here in church. We'll go to lunch today, and we'll talk about it, but then you get so absorbed in your own set of problems and your own little world, and it's somebody else will do it. While we're all waiting around for somebody else to do it, our country's going to hell. That's a fact. $14 trillion debt. The Democrats say, we want to cut $1.6 billion. That's the interest they pay on the debt every day. (laughs) The Republicans go, we want to cut $60 billion. $60 billion is like cutting cutting a, a pimple on an elephant. I mean, it's, just, it's laughable. And here we are, <laughs> right, right now, I mean, they can't, they can't even agree on a budget. Integrity. Guys, I've been speaking to men for a long time. But here, why can I stand up here and challenge you? Because I was 38 years old before I grew up. Because life became all about me. I was raised by a loving stepfather who was a national amateur wrestling champion out of Nebraska. Became my dad when I was five. I wanted to be just like him. When you were around me when I was a little kid, you could, you could, you know, you could tell who my hero was, was by just about everything I did. I didn't have to wear a sign around my neck. Well, here's what I understand as a Christian. That same attitude of heart that I had for my father that dad who loved me and took me in and raised me as his own, I, I proudly carry his name today. It's the same attitude of heart I must have for my Savior. It must be evident, not by the fact that I show up and put my hour in in church every Sunday, but by everything I do. If you have children, parents, I can promise you this. Your kids won't always do what you tell them to do. But I guarantee you they'll always do what they see you do. Always. Always. One of the men of God that had a big impact on my life, who was way ahead of his time in recognizing the anemic need for godly men in this country, was a guy named Ed Cole. Dr. Cole's gone on to be with the Lord, but I stood in one of his meetings, and he did what I'm about to do to you, gentlemen. He held the Bible out like this, and he said, if this book doesn't have lordship in your life, then Jesus Christ isn't Lord of your life. Bang. Boom. Right between the eyes. 
You can't have a relationship with somebody that you only talk to five minutes a day and for an hour on Sunday. If that's the extent of your relationship with God, you're in deep trouble. I'm here to challenge you. And just know that as I challenge you, it comes out of the conviction of my own heart. Because I've been there. I've done that. I, I, I had this childlike faith in God. My dad died when I was 15, had a heart attack in the ring and died. I, went, I ended up in a little town in southern Arizona, a little place called Wilcox. Three traffic lights. Interstate 10 goes around it. You don't even have to go through the town. Three traffic lights. I ain't nothing to do there. And on weekends, all the kids got drunk and had it and raised hell and had a good time. But I didn't. I had a dream. And I'd go out to the cemetery where my dad's buried and I'd pray. I'd cry out to God. First kid to ever graduate from that school with a full scholarship to play Division I college football. Signed with Arizona, ended up going to a place called West Texas State. Because West Texas, in, uh, in near Amarillo, there was a family very well known in the wrestling industry that I had known most of my life who could help me with the other dream, the other possibility, wrestling. Here's what happened, though. After doing things so well as a young teenager, after, after dealing with all that prayer pressure in this little town, watching my mother fall into full-blown alcoholism overnight, I mean, I, I could have looked at my mom and said, hey, you know what, Mom? You don't care? Why should I? But that's not what I did. And, and what guided me through that time was this childlike faith. And the memory and the example that had been set for me by my dad. But when I got to college, two things took over in my life, and they consumed me for 20 years. Pride and ego. Pride goeth before the fall, the Bible says, amen. And your ego, gentlemen, will edge God out. But let me, let me clarify something. Guys, I'm not telling you kill your ego. I'm telling you sanctify it. So what do you mean, Ted? God made you this way. Like I said, he made you with a lot of testosterone. He made you to want a challenge. He made you to want to strive for the things. But the, that's the bottom line. The difference is to his glory and not to the glory of self. And after seeking God in that desert cemetery in high school, then when I got what I want and I went off to college, basically I wasn't scared anymore. All of a sudden I have all this self-confidence and I basically by my actions I say to God, gee, thanks, Lord. Thanks for taking care of me and getting me here. But when I need you, I'm going to let you know. You can just sit on that shelf for a while. I didn't say that, but that's exactly what my actions said. So by the time I'm 26 years old, I'm married and divorced. So I'm a failure as a husband. Uh, I have a son that came from that first marriage, and by virtue of the divorce, can't see him except on weekends and special occasions. Failure as a father. I failed to graduate from college by one year, and I did not go to the NFL. But by this time, I was a pro wrestler. And what I believe God said to Ted was, go ahead, son. Go get all the things you think you want. Go climb the material ladder of success. And then in the future, we're going to have a conversation about it. So go ahead. Go for it. 1 John chapter 2, I believe it starts with uh, verse 15, says this. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. 
for everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. Wow, that scripture says it all. Because by the time I got to college and from 18 to 38, life was all about basically me. But unbelievable, the grace in my life, God's grace. I met a young lady named Melanie, Melanie Kennedy, Atlanta, Georgia. We fell in love. New Year's Eve, 1981, we're married. Into my life walks this Christian girl. We started going to church uh, at a little... uh, chapel on the campus of LSU when I was wrestling out of Baton Rouge. She kind of tricked me, you know. She said, okay, Ted, you're Catholic and I'm a Baptist and uh, we're going to go to a non-denominational church. We'll compromise. Well, they're all Protestant. (laughs) Duh. First time in my life I hear the gospel preached from the Bible. Sounds funny, but it's true. First time in my life, I heard that my eternity hinged on this relationship with Jesus and all, not all this litany of do's and don'ts. First time in my life, I walked the aisle, said the, the sinner's prayer. Hmm. Well, you know what? I walked that aisle again in 1987 because in spite of walking the aisle and saying the prayer and weeping a few tears, not a whole lot in my life changed. Why? Because what I continued to refuse to do was surrender my will to God's will. Basically, what my actions was saying to God was, God, I I believe in you, and I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe it's the only way, and I want what you have to offer as long as we can do it my way. And it just doesn't work that way. Bless my agenda. Let me have all this stuff, because all that stuff really came before, before God based on my actions. I don't care what you say. Your actions, as they say, always speak louder than words. So once again, I find myself in a place where I'm answering an invitation. I walked that aisle. I said that prayer again. I got baptized again. First time I got baptized, I was too young to know, even know what I was doing, which is not biblical. The pastor said, Ted, get in church as often as you can. Start doing a daily devotional. Read your Bible daily. Surround yourself with Christian friends as much as you can. In all of that, what he was really saying to me was nurture the relationship. He says, because the devil will now come quickly to try to pluck the seed that's been planted in your life. What's he talking about? You know, he said, well, the devil made me do it. Let me tell you something, folks. We're born in the flesh. And until the day you die, your flesh is selfish. That's the way, that's it's human nature. To, to take care of number one first. It's human nature. But... When you get the devil's attention, it's when you finally realize, man, I can't do this by myself. Jesus, help me. Now you got his attention. Now he will come and he'll say, we're going to take care of this real quick. Because up until that point, he's already got you and you don't even know it. Because you think you're a real good person. Did you ever steal a piece of bubble gum? Did you ever tell a little white lie? Did you ever look at a man or a woman lustfully? Well, then you're a thief. An adulterer. There you go. Because according to God, a sin is a sin is a sin. Jesus said, if you look on a person with lust, you, might, you know, you've committed adultery in your heart. So we need Jesus. 
So that's what he was trying to tell me. By, by all of those things, he was saying, nurture the relationship. And I can't, I can't express it to you enough. The relationship's everything. It's what sets us apart as a people. And, and, you know, and if you're not walking in the, in the relationship, then you're just simply religious. And I got news for you. There's going to be a whole lot of religious people go to hell. People don't like to hear this. Jesus said, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad the path that leads to death, and many there enter through. But small is the gate and narrow the path that leads to life, and only a few find it. I don't know what it tells you, but it tells me hell is going to be much more populated than heaven. And God doesn't send anybody to hell. We send ourselves. It's just like me having a discussion with a, an atheist one time. And I said, friend, I said, <laughs> I, you know, I can like you and I can be your friend. I mean, because you don't believe what I believe, that's, that, that's you. It's on you. It's not on me. And I, I just asked him, I said, look, I said, what do you know about the world religions? You know, what's this, as, well, this one believes and this one believes and that one believes? And he, and he said, well, I really don't know. <laughs> And I said, have you ever read the Bible? I said, no. I said, so what you're telling me is you don't believe in a God you've never spent 15 minutes looking for. I said, let's just say for the sake of argument, you're right and I'm wrong. I said, if you're right and I'm wrong, it won't matter. I said, but if there is this much chance that I'm right and you're wrong, what hangs in the balance is eternity. Eternity is a long time to be wrong. Don't you think it's worth you putting your life on hold to find out? And he said, I never looked at it that way. And I said, the reason you never looked at it that way is because the devil's lulled you into believing that you're not going to be held accountable for something you never really knew. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that if we stop and look around, we realize that the, the, the heavens declare his glory. I have, a, I have an older brother who's uh, agnostic, I guess. He's got this really high IQ. He's got a master's degree in psychology, teaches college-level mathematics. I love my brother, but he's so smart, he's stupid. <laughs> you know, I send him books and books, apologetics books and all that stuff, and he sends me books. Finally, he said, Ted, quit sending me books. For every book you send me, I can send you a book. I said, okay, Mike. So basically, it comes down to this. It's what we choose to believe. Because you can't absolutely prove to me what you believe, and I can't absolutely prove to you what I believe. But I'm going to tell you something. It's a whole lot easier to believe what I believe than what you believe. Because believing like an evolution, it's like believing you can take all the parts of a 747 airplane, throw them in an airplane hangar, come back in a billion years, and that plane put itself together. That's what evolution is. It's, a, it's, it's stupid. If you bother to examine it. I'm here today as your friend. I'm here to challenge you to start thinking about who you really are. You know, I know who I thought I was, and when I finally had to face who I really was, it wasn't very pretty. Right after this second dedication of my life to God, so I thought, just what that pastor said would happen. He said, the devil will come quickly to pluck the seed. But I didn't do. I gave lip service to what he said. I didn't really dive into the Bible. I didn't, you know, because... What really didn't change was my heart. You can recognize what you need. You, could, you, know, you, you can stand at the altar and you can weep over your failures all day. I mean, we can all do that. It's doing something about them that's hard. 
Well, within a month of this rededication, I get the biggest rig of my wrestling career. I get the call from Vince McMahon. And Vince sits me down in the office, in his office, and said, Ted, he says, he says, the one thing everybody hates is a real rich guy who, by virtue of his wealth, looks down his nose at everybody and thinks he can buy anybody and anything. Everybody hates that. And I had to laugh and say, yeah, I hate that too. And he said, what we're going to do, even though wrestling's entertainment, and we've told the whole world we're entertainment, we are going to, as a marketing thing, we're going to try to convince the, the, the public that you really are rich. I said, how are you going to do that? He says, well, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna, we're gonna fly you everywhere first class. Sometimes that will mean private jets. You'll have limousine service every day, and you will stay at the Hyatt, the Marriott, and the Hilton. It's a tough job. Somebody had to do it. <laughs> Not everybody got that kind of treatment back then. Hulk Hogan, who was our biggest star, and Andre the Giant. Well, Andre was 7'4", 450. Where else are you going to put him? Here was an opportunity for me to get on my knees and thank God for what he had just done. Here was an opportunity for me to take this newfound recognition and the fame and use it for God's glory, to be a witness to those guys in the wrestling world. I mean, this, the other thing, I don't like having those. I mean, I had people come to me when I first started sharing after a church service and how could you get up in church on Sunday and preach the gospel and, and then go be the million-dollar man. I said, what are you talking about? I said, that's show business. It's like telling me that I can't be Satan in the church play. It's not real. hope I didn't offend anybody here. <laughs> Wrestling's not real, okay? As long as the bad guys get beat in the end, we're telling the story right. Um, so... What an unbelievable opportunity. God had brought me out of my mess, brought Melanie into my life, blessed us with two children, given me back my son from my first marriage, and then blessed my career again. What did I do? I did the same thing I did coming out of high school. Gee, thanks, Lord. Appreciate it. See you later. No, I didn't say that. But the, the, the thing, here's the thing. There was no genuine commitment because God was not number one in my life. And if God is not number one in your life, and if you're not really living your life for God, then you don't really have a relationship with God, and you really aren't a Christian. There's a difference between becoming a Christian and striving to do right. Because even when you strive to do right, we're, we're going to blow it at times. And God says, okay, you're already forgiven. Get up and go again. There's a difference between that and, and you know, never really trying just mouthing it, and that's what I had done. So because there was no real relationship with God in my life, you know, there's a void. I call it you know, the God-sized hole. You know, and we're going to go through life, and we're going we're gonna to fill that God-sized hole. You know, there's a proverb that says, as a dog returns to his vomit, so the fool to his folly. That's what that proverb is about. You'll go back and make the same mistakes in your life over and over. You'll go back to the drugs, the booze, the pornography, the gambling addiction, whatever it is. And that, those are the, the, the hardcore things we think of. But your golf addiction, your, uh, your, your football addiction, your hunting, you know, I mean, there's whatever. Your shopping, your shopping, your shopping. My wife would kill me right now. 
I said, she, she comes home all the time. Honey, look at the deal I got. Look how much money I saved us. I said, I don't want to know how much you saved us. I want to know how much you cost me. Duh. Anyway, we all have our thing. So what's God in your life today, really? See, because there was no real God in my life, because that really wasn't the priority in my life, I was open. And the devil came in and did just what that pastor told me he would do. Right where I was the weakest and the most vulnerable, my pride and my ego. Here I go. I'm now traveling the world, Learjets, limousines. I wrestle in front of 8,000 people at Wembley Stadium. It's a thrill. Sellouts at Madison Square Garden. Had my likeness made into just about everything. Action figures. We don't call them dolls. They're action figures. You can still get my action figure. It's the classic series. Yeah, I'm now a classic. They even made toilet paper with my face on it. I never did find out whose idea that was. I was a bad guy. But when all of that was not enough to fill the void in my life, like so many other retainers, I went to the other stuff, drugs, alcohol, and women. Now, I was never addicted to drugs or alcohol. I did my share of both. The addiction for me would be women. And in uh, March of 1992, right after the day after WrestleMania 8, after being out all night partying, I called home to check in with my wife. What a nice guy. What a moron. But that day on the other end of the phone, there was an angry woman who had discovered multiple adulteries. I don't want to talk about this on the phone. I'll be on the next plane home. She said, no, you won't. You don't live here anymore. Click. First words out of my mouth. Oh, God, help me. Oh, God, help me. Oh, yes, you're the same God that I cried out to in that desert cemetery. You're the same God that restored me after I blew my first marriage. You're the same God that brought Melanie into my life, blessed us with our children, gave me back my son, and then blessed my career again. And each time I turned my back on you. What a hypocrite. Oh, God, I'm desperate now. But the amazing thing about our amazing God, my friends, is in fact his amazing grace. I don't care who you are, and I don't care how many times you failed or how miserable you think you are, or how miserable you may in fact be. There's a God who will forgive you a second, third, and fourth, and fifth time because he loves you. If you will but turn to him. The next call I made that day was to a man who's my spiritual mentor today. His name's Hal Santos. He's a man who I met in a gym. The year that I married my wife and who called me for 11 and a half years, for 11 and a half years, good old Pastor Howe would call me, stay in touch with me. And he didn't get all religious with me. He didn't challenge me all the time. Are you going to church? Are you doing this? Are you doing that? Hey, Ted, what are you doing, man? Hey, I'm always here for you, buddy. What he demonstrated to me for 11 and a half years was the character of Christ. And he told me after everything broke down, he said, Ted, he said, my prayer was this, God, one day Ted's going to hit the wall. Let me be there for him. In my darkest hour, I didn't call my pastor at home. He's a good guy. But I called a man I had relationship with. I called a man who had demonstrated the character of Jesus to me for 11 and a half years. I knew when I called Pastor Hal, he would do all he could to help me and not judge me. He flew my wife and I to St. Louis. His pastor, he pastors a church across the river in Illinois. 
Longest 30 minute ride of my life to face my wife. How, what do I say? What do I do? He said, Jesus said, Ted, the truth would set you free. He didn't say it would be painless. He never said it would be easy. He said it would set you free. He said, if you'll trust Jesus today, with the childlike faith that you demonstrated when you went out to that cemetery, would pray to him. He'll hear you, Ted, and he will forgive you, and he'll restore you. He says, you see, he never really left you. You left him. He's been trying to get your attention throughout your life. And he said, but the Bible also says you reap what you sow. There's no guarantee it'll save your marriage. He says, you could lose everything. He says, but if the worst happens, know this, that God will still forgive you and restore you. He said, you see, he said, if you were the only person that ever lived, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Prince of, 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 of the universe, would have come to earth, lived those same 33 years, and died on that cross just for you. Friends, I can't tell you, but for the first, I can't even put it into words, but for the first time in my life, I was overwhelmed with how big God is and how big his love for me is. And as I looked at my life and realized how many times I had miserably failed him, time and time again after being so blessed and and realizing that he was still, still willing to forgive me, for the first time in my life, I was overwhelmed with gratitude. And God allowed me to see me for who I really was, and it wasn't pretty. I had put at risk the love and devotion of a committed wife and the future and the stability and the peace of mind of my children, all to stroke my ego. A selfish, self-centered jerk. All you young men, all that macho crap, that's what it is. It's crap. I can say that, been there and done that. And I, I, I prayed that prayer again, but it was different this time. I said, God, I don't want you to just forgive me. I want you to come into my life and take the helm of the ship. I keep doing this my way, and my, week, my way keeps bringing me back to this place. And he says, and I said, I don't like the person I see looking back in the mirror. I don't want ever want to see this guy again. You come on board the ship of my life and take the helm. You take the ship wherever you want it to go, because from now on, I'm going with you. And I don't know what that means, and I don't care what it means anymore. All I know is that I'm following you. I don't want to lose my wife. I don't want to lose my kids. But I know it's what I deserve. And if that's the price I have to pay, I'll accept it. Now give me the strength to be a man and to tell the truth. And it's the hardest thing to this day that I've ever done, to walk in and face my wife and tell her the horrible things I told her. And to walk her walk out of the room in tears and look back at me through those tears and say this, who are you, Ted, and where's the man I thought I married? What was she saying? Where's the guy that stood before God and witnesses and entered into a covenant relationship? It's like a contract. Who took a vow to love, honor, and cherish me and me alone. Because what I agreed to that day and what I see standing here, they're not the same. So who are you? Now let me tell you how Jesus said that. Matthew 7, 21. Jesus said these words. Just because you say to me, Lord, Lord, doesn't mean you will enter the kingdom of heaven. 
but only he who does the will of my Father in heaven. For many will come in that day and say to me, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons and do many miracles. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Depart from me, you evildoers. Church, who's he talking to? He's not talking to prostitutes and tax collectors. and He's not talking to the world. He's talking to the church. He's talking to people that go to church every day. He's talking to people that go on mission trips. Because what God looks at is your heart. Because <clears throat> those people said, we did miracles in your name, Lord. I was in India four, four years ago, maybe five. It's not Alzheimer's, it's sometimes. <laughs> the last day, we went to an orphanage, and there was a group of seven of us. We prayed over five little girls, all between the ages of five, uh, four and six that had been born deaf. And God healed every one of them, five of them. I get chills thinking about it today. But I didn't guarantee me heaven. What guarantees me heaven is the heart I went to India with. A lot of people said, don't go. You know, celebrity, you know, India's close to Afghanistan, and all that stuff going on. You'd be real good to put on the news with the bag over your head. I said, God told me to go, and I'm going to trust him because he's appointed a time for me to die. And what better way to die than to die to give give my life for the service of God? And I think because I made that choice, God allowed me to see that miracle. Well, two days after I made this confession to my wife, I found myself on a bus with her, this pastor, his family, and his youth group going to Chicago. Big youth event they hold every year up there called Ascension Convention. On the way, I read a book called Maximize Manhood by Ed Cole. I spoke of him earlier. This book talks about the characteristics of genuine manhood. Real man is, he says, uh, real manhood is synonymous with Christ-likeness. The more Christ-like you are, the more of a man you are. It's about character and integrity. It's about being a man of your word. Your word is your bond. You're only as good as your word. And if your word's no good, man, you're worthless. By the time I got to Chicago, I wanted to crawl under a rock somewhere. God spoke to my heart, and it was like a slap in the face to wake me up. He said, Ted, you were a bigger man when you were 15 years old when you cried out to me in that desert cemetery than you are right now. And right now you got more than you ever thought you'd have. He was right. So why was I there? No, no coincidences with God. I had, I had confessed to Pastor Hal, my wife, and God. 1,500 teenagers, they all recognized me. WrestleMania had been a week earlier. I had the highlighted blonde hair, about 50 pounds lighter. There's Ted DiBiase, the million-dollar man. What's he doing here? What better place for God to put a guy with an ego trip? The speaker that day was a guy named Reggie Dabbs. He finally came to the invitation. He said, if you're tired of living a lie, you know what you need. You know it's Jesus. Get out of your chair and get up here. It's a moment of truth for me. Would I, in front of 1,500 teenagers, get up in humility and go forward? Or would I sit there making up excuses? Oh, you know, God, you know I meant what I said, but I can't let these kids see me do that. No, 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 no. I beat, I beat every kid in that building to the front of the room, and I fell on my face dead center, and I cried like a baby. 
I didn't care what a kid in that room thought that day, and I haven't cared since. Because at that moment in my life, all that mattered to me was I get it right with God. And as I laid there weeping, I said, God, I don't know what this means. I don't know where we're going, but I know I'm going with you. And if I lose my family, then give me the strength to be the best father that I can be under those circumstances. I really believed I was losing it all. My wife, whose faith had grown throughout our relationship, who thought she was married to a Christian man, witnessed all of this and came to me. And she said this. She goes, Ted, I'm not going to make you a promise I can't keep. I don't know if I'm strong enough. I have prayed and asked God, is he, God, is he sorry? Is he just sorry he got caught? In either case, my God tells me to forgive. She said, Ted, I've forgiven you. What's the first thing that blew me out of the water? In either case, I have forgiven you. And she said, I serve a God of restoration, not divorce. And because I love Jesus, because... I want to be obedient to his voice right now. I am going to do my best. I am going to try to give you a chance you don't deserve. Because I believe, and maybe because I want to believe from what I've seen, that you really want to be a man of God. I'm just not sure you're man enough. She challenged me. And I said, if you'll give me this chance, I'll become the man you thought you married. I will become the spiritual leader in my home. I will become a man of strong character and integrity. And God willing, one day I'll regain your trust and respect. The next two years of life was hell for her and me. This New Year's Eve, we will celebrate 30 years together. And you know what? Here's the difference. As my wife, over the course of those two years, saw me dive into the word of God, saw me take the helm of the ship and become the spiritual leader and the prayer leader in my home, as she began to see the priorities in my life shift from me and my job to my family, as she began to see my life, what? Bear fruit. Back came the trust, and the respect. Nobody in my life has been a greater example of God's mercy and grace and love than my wife. And I guarantee you today, our, our relationship is, he didn't, God didn't just fix it, he made it better than, than, he said, I come that you have life and have it more abundantly. My relationship with my wife today is better than it was when we started. And it's as if it's never happened. And God even uses us, and perhaps one day I'll come back here with Melanie, and we will do some couples ministry because that's what we're starting to do now. Now God is taking that which we went through and using it to speak into the lives of other people. Guys, you want to do something intimate with your wife? Pray with her. I pray with my wife. every. I got up today, even though I had a short night, and I called home. It's a couple hours later there, and I said, honey, pray with me before I go to church. A lot of people said, oh, gosh, you know, don't tell the truth, Ted. They don't want to know the truth. Even if she forgives you, she's going she to remind you about it the rest of your life. Every time you get in an argument, trump card. You remember what you did to me? After those two years, not one time, not, it's gone. 
Why? Because I made a decision in 92 to trust God and my wife at the same time, in the time of her greatest humiliation and pain, said, God, I'm going to trust you. And her example to me is what changed me. Her willingness to even try after what I told her changed me. The question today is for me to you. Where are you today? There's three questions I always ask. Have you made that decision? Do you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? The Bible says today is the day of the Lord. You're not here by mistake if you're as a guest or if you came to see an old wrestler. The second question I ask is this. Are you dealing with a recurrent sin? Are you dealing with anger and bitterness? Are you holding a grudge? As long as you hold that grudge, God can't hear you. You can pray all day. God says forgive. The disciples said, Lord, how many times do we forgive? Seven? He said 70 times seven. What do you mean? Forgive as often as you're asked. And who are we to hold a grudge when the God of the universe forgives us every day and he's sinless? Who are we to hold a grudge? Oh, but Ted, you don't understand. I was raped. Oh, my gosh. There's a lot of reasons to hang on to anger and bitterness. And in our humanity, there's... I would say, yes, there's things that would be almost impossible for us to give, but it, that's in our strength. In God's strength, all things are possible, I, I promise you. I watched my wife do it. The other question I'll ask today is, after I've shared what I've shared today, is God speaking to your heart and saying, hey, we got off to a pretty good start, but you've let the cares of the world and the busyness of your life choke out what we once had. You don't ever come and talk to me. Your prayer life is about this long and you never read your Bible. Go back and do the things you did at first. Are you a man in this room that needs to take the helm of the ship and be the man God called you to be? To be take the helm of the ship and be the spiritual leader because that's, that's what you're supposed to we're gonna be. We're going to stand before God, gentlemen. We as men are going to be held responsible for the spiritual well-being of every member of our family. That's what the Bible says. Are you going to be ready? And again, a lot of reasons why guys don't like church today. But just like shaking your fist at Washington and all the poor decisions they're making, look in the mirror for us. Just like Jesus said, he said, before you go to get the speck out of your brother's eye, get the plank out of yours. The change starts here. It starts in you. And then, it's, and then it spreads. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? Wherever you are today, and whatever God has spoken to you today, as I pray this prayer, I just want you to speak from your own heart to the Lord. And he wants to hear from your heart, not your head. And just share with him your heart. And whatever it is you need, Know that the answer to every need is here because every need is answered by him. So let's go to him now. Lord Jesus, I come to you now. I confess to you, Lord, that I'm a sinner. And Lord, I realize that in and of myself, in my own strength and own power, 
I'm real. I'm really pretty, pretty weak and, and helpless. God, I'm tired of starting over. I'm tired of failing time and time again and looking into the mirror. Not liking that person I see looking back. Today, Lord, today, I understand that all my needs can be met in one place. And that one place is in you. Today, Lord, I understand that's what's, what's most important in my Christian life is our relationship. So today, Jesus, I ask you to search my heart reveal to me any unconfessed sin. Lord, I confess it now. Lord, I ask you not only to forgive me, but Lord, to set me free of the bondage of this habitual sin in my life. Lord, give me the strength, give me the measure of faith that I need to carry on. Lord, today I pledge that from this day forward, no more religion. It's all about the relationship. You're number one in my life. Lord, today I come and I ask you because in my own strength, I've carried this grudge, I've carried this, this, this bitterness, I've carried this hate. God, I can't seem to let it go. Today, Lord, I'm asking you to take this burden and Lord, in your strength, give me the strength to walk out of here and let this go that I might have the sweet fellowship with you that you want me to have. Jesus, we thank you for being with, here with us today. And Lord, we thank you for hearing every cry and every plea. And Lord, we thank you for answering every prayer because you said you would. We thank you for your promised forgiveness. We thank you for restoration. But most of all, Jesus, we thank you for loving us all enough to die for us at Calvary's cross. And we pray this prayer in your precious, matchless name, for there's no greater name under heaven and earth the name Jesus. Amen. Now, just for a moment, if you would, eyes closed and heads bowed. Nobody looking around the room. This is just between you and me. I'm going to ask you three questions. And I just want you to simply respond by raising a hand. If there happens to be anybody in here today that said that prayer just now for the first time, you've never made a decision for Jesus. But today you did, man. You came to see a wrestler or something, and man, God snuck up on you. And that's what he does a lot. If you made a decision for the first time to follow Jesus today, I want you to raise your hand high so I can see it. Nobody's looking around. God bless you. God bless you. Praise God. God bless you. That's awesome. Second question, eyes closed, heads bowed. If the Lord spoke to you today, for whatever reason you feel like today's the day, you need to recommit your purpose to that relationship. That life has beat you up or, you know, there's so much that distract us here in this country. But for whatever reason, God's tapped you on the shoulder and said, I want to have that fellowship for real or I want to have it again. We did have it. But today you're rededicating your purpose to the relationship. If that's you, would you raise your hand for me so I can acknowledge you? Lots of hands. Thank you very much. Last question. If you're, if you're dealing with bitterness and anger and you need the strength to let it go, today you're saying, Lord, I'm going to cast my burden upon you 
And I am going to believe, Lord, that in your strength, I'll let this go so I can be free. If that's you, would you raise your hand for me? God bless you all. Lots of hands. Okay, folks, look up here. Wow, man. God moving here today. I think we had at least three first-time decisions and a lot of others. So here's what I want you to do. Next step. I told you about my trip to Chicago for a reason. God took me there to test me, to challenge me. Jesus said, if you will not declare me before men, I, will not, I cannot declare you before my Heavenly Father. You know, and it's like the first step to genuine repentance is just that humility. So God took me to Chicago in front of all those kids to see if, if, if I would run to him literally and say, God, I don't care. I don't care what anybody thinks. So here's what I want to ask you to do. If you raise your hand for any one of those three reasons, I want you to step out of your seat and I want you to come stand right here at the front of the platform facing me because we're going to pray one more time. If you raise your hand, come up here. Stand right here. And they're coming. That's right. Give them a hand. Give everybody a hand. Yeah.